Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, January 8th of 2020. It's our first episode of the new year. And most of you who have been listening to me regularly know that we haven't produced an episode for the last couple of weeks. I had a really, really relaxing Christmas break, Um, managed to step away from work for a little bit. And uh, at the end of this episode, actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing to grow our company and make us into uh, um, an even better company. And I think some of you who run SEO agencies or have aspirations of going out on your own and starting a new company will find these thoughts interesting. But one of the best things for me this Christmas was really just stepping away from uh, paying attention to absolutely everything that Google says and uh, focusing on my family and um, a bunch of video games, a bunch of food. And uh, it was a really good time. So hopefully most of you are feeling refreshed and relaxed after uh, after a break, if you had a break, um, because it's really, really important. This industry can really, really tear you down. Uh, you know, we're constantly dealing with businesses that are struggling, um, businesses that can't get ahead because Google changed something. And so in order for us to come at those problems with a positive attitude and, um, you know, a, a a good, uh, clear mind in helping people solve things, I think it's really important to have breaks from time to time. So thank you for being patient in uh, not having a podcast episode and a newsletter episode for the last couple of weeks. We're back at it now. And in this episode, we're going to talk uh, about a number of things. We possibly have had some algo updates, although nothing really uh, consequential at this point, as far as I can see. We're going to talk about why reconsideration requests are taking longer now to hear responses back. Um, There's a glitch in Google Posts that we'll talk about. Uh, I have a really great question that came through our Q&A section about a website or a bunch of websites actually that are seeing drops starting November 8th. And the question is whether this could be uh, due to the sites doing reciprocal linking. So I'm going to give my thoughts on that um, and a number of other things as well. So let's get right into it. Um, First of all, let's talk about, as we always do, algorithm updates. So when we looked at the data over the last couple of weeks, um, it's really obvious that a number of websites saw significant changes in traffic starting December 26th. Now, is this an update? It's hard to say. Uh, Almost every year, websites uh, will see seasonal changes. Um, And, you know, given that December 26th is obviously, uh, you know, people are not buying e-commerce store products um, as much as they were prior to Christmas. Um, But I feel like there was a bigger change this year than in other years. I have a theory about this. I don't think that this was an algorithm update. We mentioned in newsletter uh, a couple of our clients that saw really nice bumps up December 26th, although they usually do December 26th, although this year it was a bigger increase than other years. I really think that these sites, I don't think it's like Google changed the algorithms uh, to further reward quality, but rather they've been working on improving quality throughout the year. Um, and so when, uh, you know, when something changes in terms of seasonality, the bump is likely to be bigger. Um, and I don't know if that completely makes sense. But when I say something changes, I think what happens at this time of year is Google just recognizes that searcher intent has changed. I don't know whether they, you know, flip a switch and say, ah, holiday season is over now. So, you know, let's put these new SERPs up. I think it's more likely that what happens is uh, they recognize the changes in searchers' patterns. Uh, And so um, prior, you know, we talked about this before Christmas, prior to Christmas, uh, if I'm doing a search, I'm more likely to find an e-commerce page, uh, somebody selling me something, as opposed to just an informational page for a lot of things. Uh, And so some of these sites that are seeing increases December 26 are ones that perhaps, um, you know, had decreases to uh, Google preferring to rank sites like Amazon or Walmart or one of the big giants in your space. Uh, So, um, you know, if you're seeing significant changes starting December 26, I would encourage you to look at your year-over-year traffic in Google Analytics. So what we do when we're looking at Google Analytics is we will uh, go to, um, I don't have it in front of me here, but acquisition, I think it's source medium, and then uh, we actually click on looking at the Google organic traffic, 
Uh, and then in the top right corner, you can compare against the previous year. And that can tell you whether, you know, do you always see an increase on December 26 uh, or not? Um, and so not every site that we deal with had this increase, but it did seem to be more significant uh, for some sites that have been working on just generally improving quality. Uh, Barry Schwartz reported that a lot of people are talking about potentially an algorithm update starting January 7th. Um, given that I'm recording this on January 8th, not enough time has passed for us to actually investigate this. The SEMrush sensor and also the MozCast um, report is showing that there is a significant increase in uh, SERP variability, uh, meaning that rankings have changed in the search results uh, significantly. Again, though, this can be just connected to users' search patterns changing at this time of year. So um, I don't know whether there was a significant update on January 7th or not. I thought something, I heard something interesting that apparently the SEMrush sensor also takes into account community chatter, um, which really can be a reciprocal thing, right? Because the community chatter can say, oh, the SEMrush sensor is up. And then the SEMrush sensor can say, oh, there's more community chatter on this. Um, and so, you know, it's really, really challenging to determine when there is an algorithm update. Uh, and so um, every week, though, we have more and more sites that we can monitor. And, uh, and that's what we base our our decisions on is what are we seeing amongst the hundreds of clients that uh, we have access to. Um, we have plans in the future to potentially uh, increase that so we have even more data, but that's a, a story for another day. Um, so was there an algorithm update? Well, I mean, there's always algorithm updates, right? Uh, at this point, I don't think there was anything that we need to be writing articles about. Um, and I think if you're seeing changes in traffic, again, I would encourage you to look at whether this is something that happens every year for you. Uh, you know, it's not likely that you've been hit by some sort of a Google tweak in terms of how they measure quality. Let's talk about the Wix competition. So uh, you may have heard that we won and we're pretty excited about that. Uh, for those of you who are new to this podcast and maybe haven't heard me talk about this, we entered the competition that Wix had uh, where they only chose two entries and we were chosen, actually we volunteered to be on the side of the Wix lovers. And that got us some flack because uh, as most SEOs know Wix does not have a great reputation in terms of SEO. Um, we did manage to win the competition, although it was a little disappointing to me that we didn't crack page three in terms of ranking for Wix SEO. Um, I've talked about this in past episodes, and uh, to be honest, I can't remember how much I've said in podcast about our strategies, uh, so I may repeat a little bit here, but hopefully you don't mind, uh, because I think we learned some really interesting stuff uh, in, in entering this competition. So the goal of the competition was, I believe we started in June or July of uh, 2019, and uh, we had a Wix website that we were trying to rank for the term Wix SEO. Now, that's not practical because very few websites are created to rank for just one term. Um, and the other issue that we had with uh, ranking this site is that I really believe that anybody searching for SEO is uh, doing a YMYL search. It's your money or your life. And one of the issues that, uh, that I anticipated we would have is that uh, our website, wixseolovers.com, really does not have EAT. It's associated with me, and I have EAT in terms of SEO. Um, it's associated with our business, with MHC, uh, but it's uh, not its own entity uh, on its own. And so um, I think very few of you out there would say, oh, you need information on uh, Wix SEO. You need to go to the Wix SEO lovers, right? I think you would rather uh, say uh, you need to go to Marie Haynes Consulting, who ran this website, Wix SEO lovers. And so um, if you're trying to rank for a YMYL query, then you really need to establish that you're a real life business. You're not just a website that somebody set up and you know nobody actually pays attention to. Um, you're a real life business. And so some of the things that we did to try to improve our EAT was to actually get mentions on uh, local news stations. Uh, some of my staff uh, that graduated from a local college here went back to their college and actually taught a class on uh, how they do SEO. 
Um, and the college wrote an article about them and uh, mentioned, uh, you know, the contest and that we're trying to win this contest. And so not only did that give us a link, but it also improved our mentions. Um, some of the links that our competitors were getting, and, and this is not to put down our competitors, uh, Liquid Inter Interactive, we had a great time competing with you. And, uh, um, you know, I think I think we both uh, realized that, you know, we did a lot of things in fun. We had a lot of funny gifts and memes and, uh, you know, took shots at each other, but uh, all in fun. Um, one thing I will say, though, is that uh, one of the common things that we see in a lot of SEO companies is that there's a really strong emphasis on getting as many links as you can. Uh, and we noticed that a lot of the links that pointed to the hater sites were ones that we would consider lower quality. Um, links from directories where maybe anybody could get a link. Uh, links from... Um, just, you know, forum mentions, uh, things things like that, were links where they were self-made. Now, to be fair, we had similar-ish kind of links. I mean, we had links that were self-made in the sense that uh, if I did a podcast interview with somebody and the interviewers always say, hey, is there anything you want us to mention? And I would say, well, yeah, we're in this Wix competition, so can you link to our site? That's really not a recommendation of our content on Wix. Really, that link came about because of um, my relationships in the industry and uh, uh, things like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, the quality of links can be important. Uh, and we don't know which links helped us and whether other stuff is helping us. Um, one of the things that we did near the end of the competition was greatly improve the content on our homepage. We said, well, look, if we want Google to recognize that this page is about Wix SEO, our homepage should answer people's questions on it. And so we greatly beefed up the content on the homepage uh, to include links out to many places where you could learn about SEO in terms of Wix sites. But what I wanted to talk about the most and something that I think really propelled us to ranking better uh, was uh, this thing that we did to try to encourage more clicks. And um, so what we did was uh, we ran a competition to say, um, hey, we've put a bunch of John Mueller pictures, funny John Mueller pictures, all around the Wix SEO lovers site. And uh, for in some cases, we encouraged people to actually do a search for Wix SEO, click on our site, and then find all the pictures. And, uh, and we gave away several paid newsletter subscriptions to people who could do that. Now, um, this, and, and that, the next day, our rankings went from like page six or something, I think it was page six, uh, up to page three, sometimes page four. And by the time we um, were judged for the competition, we were on page three. So did the click engagement actually improve our rankings? We think that it did give us a temporary boost. Uh, and I think I did talk about this in the last episode, uh, but we feel that um, Google does measure engagement on websites. Now, this doesn't mean that we should all go out and pay money for click farms. I think Google can legitimately notice when uh, over a long period of time, people are engaging with certain websites more than others. Now, what can you learn from that? Um, you know, it's not to create artificial ways to keep people on your website. We've seen people do tricks like disabling your back button so that they can't go back to the SERPs uh, and, and or making pages. Ah, there's one website some recipe website I keep going to on mobile, and you can't click the button to actually load the recipe unless you reload the page. And I'm like, that's sneaky because you just got twice the ad revenue from me looking at your page because I had to reload it. I'm not talking about tricks like that. Um, I do think though that if you can get people engaged with videos or if you have people coming to a particular article on your website, find ways to get them to click to other pages on your website. Uh, find, write more related stuff that will help people to continue to engage with your website. And we do think that over time, those signals can, um, can feed to Google that people are actually enjoying engaging with your website and you 
can potentially rank better. Anyhow, when the contest ended, uh, we were seen as ranking above the Wix SEO haters site. And uh, and yes, we did win the money. Uh, we're in talks with Wix now, and it should be sent to us soon. I know people had questions on this because the last competition, there was some uh, question about uh, getting paid and whatnot. But this is, it's not an issue for us. We had a fantastic wrap-up call with Wix. And it's interesting to see. I think Wix is really going to be working on improving their SEO capabilities even more. Um, we did find that there were some limitations in using Wix. Uh, and we've talked about that. We wrote a really good article on uh, our website. You can find it in newsletter. Oh, by the way, this is episode number 114 of Search News You Can Use. Um, you can find it at mariehaines.com newsletter. And we've gone into even more detail about, um, you know, the issues that we have with Wix. Ultimately, so one of the things that Wix asked us in our phone call afterwards was whether um, we would consider using Wix if we were building websites for clients. Now, we don't currently build websites uh, for clients, uh, but if we were, I don't know. I mean, I think if I was building a website uh, as a personal blog, as um, potentially a small business, like let's say you were you ran a business from your home, ran a cleaning business, a, a hairdressing business, something like that, um, where the competition was potentially not huge, I think Wix can make very nice websites that still can rank. Uh, I don't think you're going to be horribly hindered by having a Wix website. With that said, um, I think if you have the budget to pay for more of a bespoke website or even uh, a WordPress website that gives you a little bit more flexibility in terms of being able to make changes, uh, that is probably still the better option. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if over the next couple of years, Wix gets better and better at uh, kind of wrinkling or ironing out the wrinkles in terms of SEO. We'll move on now because we've talked a lot about this contest, but I know a lot of people were asking me about this and uh, um, and we're really excited that we won uh, the competition. So um, moving on, <laughs> let's talk about our, we had a Twitter handle for the Wix SEO lovers. And uh, once the contest was over, we decided, well, you know, we've actually gotten, uh, I think, a couple hundred followers on this handle. Um, so we might as well keep it because we're not going to continue with the Wix SEO lovers website. That, that, belongs to Wix now. Uh, and so we changed our Twitter handle to um, MHC Inc, uh, MHC underscore Inc. Uh, and if you'd like to follow that, um, so my personal Twitter, uh, Marie underscore Haynes, uh, I tweet a lot of personal stuff on there and, and uh, you know, just my thoughts on SEO. Uh, the MHC Inc is going to be the place to get announcements and, um, you know, more information about uh, Google changes. So I would encourage you to, to follow that. Um, but I'm laughing because uh, somebody took up the Wix SEO lovers handle and is tweeting some nasty stuff from it. Um, it's just silly, though, because I believe the handle has just a couple of followers. Um, and so <laughs> uh, I don't know why people do stuff like that. Anyways, if you want to follow us on MHC Inc., then uh, we're going to be providing even more content uh, on that Twitter handle as well. Um, there's definitely benefit to following both them and me. Um, so uh, moving on, there's a glitch with the URL parameter tool in Search Console. Uh, if you are using the URL parameter tool, we've had uh, a couple of reports of it not working properly. There was a tweet from Ryan Muse uh, to John Mueller who said, did something change in Search Console's URL parameter handling area? Seeing little to no parameters where there was once 100 plus parameters for large e-commerce sites. Um, and John actually did say there's some weird going on there and Google's working on it. So if you've been wrestling with this section of Search Console, know that there is a problem on Google's side and uh, it's probably not you, it's them. Um, those of you who use Google Data Studio, there's a new version released. I am embarrassed to say that I am not terribly familiar with Google Data Studio. And from what I've heard, I feel like it's something that we desperately need to be using for the type of work that we do. Uh, and so it's one of those things that's always on my list to investigate and do more with. Um, that said, if you use Google Data Studio, a lot of people are pretty excited about this update. Apparently, you can transfer ownership uh, and do a bunch of other things. So We've written a bit about that in newsletter as well. Continuing on with Google Search Console, um, 
as of December 15th, the Google Webmaster's uh, Twitter account tweeted that the index coverage report is going to be more accurate. So the index coverage report is the part where uh, we use this a lot for finding thin content to websites. Not everything that's in there is thin, but it helps you find some little clues where we can now use our brains to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, these pages that Google um, says are not, they're discovered, but they're not indexed. Well, maybe it's because they're lower quality. Um, And so one of the things that people were noticing is that there was an increase in pages that say crawled, but currently not indexed. And then when you actually looked in the index, they actually were indexed. Um, And so this is resolved now. Uh, And you'll notice that in Google Search Console, there's actually a note um, that, and I really, really dislike the wording of this, it says Google Search Update. Now, that doesn't mean that there was an algorithm update, but rather um, Search Console changed how they present data. So um, important to know that if you're looking at the index coverage report, if you're seeing something significant happen around December 15th, it could be connected to this issue uh, where Google's making changes in this area. There was an interesting question on Twitter, again, about... um, Um, somebody tweeted about a particular website from India where if you, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it was a particular car insurance company that if you Google their name, the first 30 results are from the website itself. I see a lot of confusion about this diversity update. Uh, So this update was supposed to make it so that there's only two results, um, at max, two results from each domain for each query. The thing is, that doesn't apply when you're specifically looking for that company. So if you were looking for information on our company and you did a search for Marie Haynes Consulting, it would be perfectly normal for Google to show uh, the full, I I haven't done the search recently, I don't know what's on there, but if Google was showing the full first page of results from mariehaines.com, that's not, um, you know, contradicting their diversity update uh, because you specifically wanted information from this company. So, um, and John's response to, uh, to this person was, I don't know the query, but if there's an official site for that, then that sounds like it might be what users are looking for. Um, So I think uh, a lot of people are confused in that area. Let's talk about reconsideration requests. Um, So most of you know that a reconsideration request is what you file if Google gives you a manual action on your website. And there are many different types of manual actions. There's, uh, you know, the most common one that we deal with is a manual action for unnatural links. And that means that Google has detected that there are links pointing to your website that really look like they're there as an attempt to manipulate Google search results um, as opposed to links that are there because people wanted to recommend your website. And uh, if you've done things on a very large scale, you can get a manual action. For quite some time, we saw very few manual action, very few requests for people to help, uh, want us to help with manual actions. And uh, I really believe that Google barely gave any out for a certain period of time. And now they're stepping it up again. Uh, We're getting a couple of requests each day for help. Um, And uh, I'm going to talk in a minute, uh, probably at the end of this podcast, about how we deal with uh, having more requests than we can handle. Um, And so if we're getting more requests, it means either we've stepped up our marketing in terms of uh, being aware, people being aware that we deal with manual actions, or I think what's more likely is that uh, Google's giving out more manual actions. Um, I should just go back to my last thought there. There are other types of uh, manual actions you can get. Thin content is one that we commonly see. Um, We see thin content penalties often for sites with doorway pages. Uh, There can be other reasons as well. Pure spam, uh, we have a whole article if you just Google pure spam penalty. For a while, we were outranking Google's own documentation on pure spam penalties, uh, and we would get people um, filling out our contact form uh, as if they were filing a reconsideration request. Like, we're not Google, we uh, we can help you, but, um, but pure spam... Most of those sites, if you get a pure spam penalty, it's really challenging to get that lifted uh, because most of those sites are ones that are just like, uh, I'm just republishing stuff you could find on YouTube or here's all these free wallpapers that, yeah, you could get them on other websites, but we've organized them here. Um, Pure spam, we don't spend a lot of time consulting uh, with that, but there are other manual actions as well that you can get. So if you get a manual action, 
in Search Console, you'll see in the left sidebar uh, an area to click for manual actions. And if your website has a manual action on it, you will see what that manual action is. Now, years ago, you used to be able to file a reconsideration request even if you didn't have a manual action. We didn't actually have this manual actions viewer in Search Console. Um, but rather, if you saw a sudden drop in traffic, then the first thing that most people would do is just file a reconsideration request. So a few years ago, Google made it so that you can only file a request if you actually have a manual action. Um, now what we're finding is that we still do have some uh, some requests that we file where we can get uh, a response from Google within one to two weeks, but we've had others that are taking longer. I used to tell people it can take up to six weeks to hear back from Google. We've had a couple that are taking two or three months, and this is really challenging because a lot of the time what we want to do is not be insanely aggressive uh, from the outstart. Um, and I know that contradicts some of what I've said in the past. If you have a manual action for unnatural links, you do want to be aggressive. But sometimes there are links where we're still not sure whether Google is seeing these as unnatural or not. Um, and sometimes what we'll want to do is say, look, let's disavow and try to get removed. These links that were overtly paid for, uh, these links that um, you know very clearly are part of a link scheme. But here's one example. Let's say you have links like that. But then you also have links uh, that come from a scholarship program that you ran. Now, it's not wrong to run a program for scholarships. Um, but in some cases, Google can see those as unnatural. If, you, if your scholarships are all keyword anchored, you know, if you're the best plumber in Ottawa scholarship, um, <laughs> just so you can get links pointing back to your website saying best plumber in Ottawa, uh, you know, we would, we would want to remove those. But in most cases, the links that we're seeing are not keyword anchored. And so sometimes what we'll do if we're not sure is say, look, let's just file for reconsideration with these links dealt with. And then we'll put this whole other list of links in a debatable column. And then when we hear back from Google, often if we're, uh, you know, if Google, if the issue they're having was with, say, those scholarship links, they'll give us an example link that's a scholarship link. And then we can go back and go, okay, now we need to deal with the scholarship links um, because it's rarely black and white. Uh, and so if we're hearing, if we're taking three months to hear back from Google, this type of approach is challenging. So there was an interesting article just this morning as I record this on Search Engine Roundtable where Barry Schwartz talked about uh, John Mueller mentioning in the latest Help Hangout why these requests are sometimes taking longer. Uh, and he said that they actually get run in batches. I didn't know this. Um, I'm going to read the quote from John. Uh, this is from the latest Help Hangout. If it takes longer, then that's usually a sign of a backlog. But I mean, it's not the case that we kind of artificially delay things with regard to reconsideration requests. Sometimes what just happens is that the team works on this in batches, and they'll go through one set of reconsiderations, and then they'll go through the next set. And depending on how they batch things, it might be by country or by kind of type of issue, those kind of things. I'm going to interrupt here. That's really interesting, right? I feel like type of issue could be the, I mean, maybe it's as simple as, okay, today we're going to look at thin content requests, and today we're going to look at unnatural links. Um, but maybe they've got things batched out where, particular types of unnatural links are dealt with. So for example, um, there's probably a, a, a section of the web spam team that's working on combating uh, or figuring out which links are paid. Um, or a better example would be figuring out widget links. If you have spread a widget across the web and people are linking back to you um, from that widget, those can be hard to find for some reason for Google. Uh, and so if a manual action was given for that reason, then it's possible that those get put into one particular batch. I don't know. Um, so back to the quote, uh, let's see here. So that's kind of something that happens sometimes. Uh, and then suddenly a whole bunch of things will get reprocessed fairly quickly and it takes a while again. So um, years ago, uh, and I can't remember whether this is a theory I had or whether uh, this was documented somewhere. I feel like I had some type of proof for this. Um, I do believe that reconsideration requests go through two 
batches, basically. Um, when you reply, when you apply for reconsideration, most likely there's a junior level employee. Now know that this is probably theory on my part, but uh, and based on filing hundreds and hundreds of reconsideration requests, um, sometimes we can get a response back very quickly that's just a templated like, nope, you still have more work to do. Um, and when that happens, I think it, I think the first pass goes to a junior level employee or maybe somebody that's contracted out um, where they basically just have a checklist to look at. Like, hey, we identified there's this many links with this issue. And then uh, now we can identify that that number hasn't changed at all. Um, and they're not in the disavow file. So let's just hit the button and say you failed. <laughs> um, and then in some cases, when it takes longer, that's often a good thing uh, because it's like it has to go to the next level of um, being assessed. And I believe in that case, it goes to somebody on the web spam team who can seriously look into whether you're actually fixing the problem. We have by far had the best success with websites when we can convince the business to thoroughly change their practices. Um, and so if you, if your plan is to, you know, oh, we got caught doing this kind of unnatural linking, so we won't do that, but we'll still do this thing that's getting us links that maybe Google hasn't caught on to yet. Those types of um, reconsideration requests for people who are doing that can take a long, long time. Where we have, uh, we're working with a client right now with a very, very large link profile. Uh, we'll be filing for reconsideration soon. And um, these guys are so great at saying, look, if anything's even remotely close to unnatural, we want to deal with it. We're setting up training programs for our staff uh, to teach them how to actually earn links as opposed to um, making your own links. And uh, I believe that we will get this reconsideration request lifted very quickly. I mean, the audit and going through that took us a fair amount of time, but I believe we'll get it lifted quickly because it's very clear that this company has changed gears and moving and is moving in the right direction now. Um, so I thought that was interesting. If you're dealing with the manual action, um, you know, you can reach out to us. We do have a little bit of a waiting list uh, for help with this, but uh, we've actually got some meetings going on in the next week or so to figure out how we can uh, get through these faster without uh, compromising on quality. Moving on, um, let's talk a little bit about Google Discover. Uh, I feel like this we, we pay very little attention to Google Discover, but Google Discover can give you massive uh, increases in traffic. If you crack it and you get uh, picked up on Google Discover, uh, it can be really, really good. Now, one of the things that um, is new apparently, although I feel like I'd seen this for a while. On your Google Discover feed, uh, you have the opportunity to thumb up or thumbs down a comment, a, 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 an article. The whole idea of this is to say, uh, oh yeah, I don't want to see content about this particular type of thing. Um, Lily Ray had a good point on Twitter saying that, uh, you know, this is kind of weird because people might assume it's like Reddit and just assume they're liking the article itself. I still think that's a good thing. You know, if, if I read an article and I like it and I hit the thumbs up, uh, then I want to see more content like that. Mind you, I can still dislike something and still want to read content on that. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I still think it's important though, because um, what we don't know is whether Google's using these thumbs up and thumbs down voting systems for uh, ranking as well. So if, you know, they push something into my newsfeed about, uh, I, there's been a lot of things in my newsfeed lately about the Toronto Maple Leafs and from websites that I haven't heard of, uh, and they're speculating on things. Um, and they're speculating, I mean, anybody can speculate that who's coming to the team or what's going to happen uh, with the team. Um, and these articles really weren't helpful. So if I hit thumbs down, I don't know if Google is going to say, oh, she doesn't want to hear about the Toronto Maple Leafs anymore, because that's not true. Um, or they go, oh, you don't want to hear from this website, or you don't want to hear speculation, although I do want to hear speculation posts um, when there's some, some truth behind it. So it's an interesting thing. I feel like we should be paying attention to this more, uh, because I think it makes sense for Google to use this in terms of rankings. Like if tons of people thumb up uh, a particular article uh, on a particular topic, well, it makes sense for Google to maybe want to rank that higher in organic search. So 
So, um, you know, I, if any of you out there has been doing really good work with uh, Google Discover um, and reach out to us, uh, you can always reach my team at help at mariehaines.com. Um, if you're writing about something that I've mentioned in podcast, it's always good to mention that in your email because we get a lot of people that um, write to us and say, oh, hey, I wrote this great article. Can you link to it? Um, I would rather that you say, hey, Marie mentioned that we're looking for articles on, and in this case, uh, the Discover feed, um, and how to uh, take advantage of uh, doing well in Google Discover. If you've got an article on that or you're writing one, then let us know and we'll include it in newsletter because it's an area that I feel we should be learning more about. Um, I don't, and some of you are probably saying, like, I don't even use Google Discover. What is this all about? I have a Google phone. I use a Google Pixel. And for me, uh, when I'm on my my home screen on my phone, I swipe to the right and instantly I have my Google Discover feed. And over the last few months, as I've been training it with thumbs up and with, uh, they have a little slider too that says, see more of this content, see less of this content. It's really, really good for me. So uh, if I'm finding it useful, I think a lot of other people will as well. This was really interesting. Um, Nikki Mosier uh, tweeted that, uh, <laughs> and this, this is great, she did a search for The Bachelor. I do not watch The Bachelor. It sounds like an interesting show. Um, I don't know why I felt like I had to tell you I don't watch The Bachelor. If you watch The Bachelor, there's no judgment. No judgment at all. It looks interesting. Um, so she did a search for The Bachelor while the show was going on. And there was live comments in the search results. So uh, we have a screenshot in newsletter, but um, the comments in somebody says, I think it's funny how he eliminated all three flight attendants. I think it would be so funny if he ended up with Hannah B. So these are people commenting in live time on uh, searches. That's interesting. I have no... Um, information on how we'd use that in terms of SEO. But I think if you're a website that relies on, uh, you're basically providing content surrounding TV shows, I'd be scared about this. Um, whenever we, you know, finish watching something on TV, I'm always on IMDb or on, you know, I like to, to see the discussion. Uh, I often go to Reddit to find uh, what are other people saying about this show. And I think if I had live commentary uh, from other users, I may spend less time on these, uh, these websites that are giving me information. So once again, it's an area where Google may be stealing some search traffic from uh, many types of, of websites. Um, this was an interesting uh, comment from Reddit, uh, again from John Mueller. Somebody asked um, whether a page is fine to have, I believe the question was whether you can just have a video on a page or an image and nothing else. And I'm going to read John's reply uh, to this person. You always need textual textual content on page, regardless of what other kinds of content you might have. If you're a video hosting site, you still need things like titles, headings, text links, etc. The same goes for audio hosting sites. Make it easy for search engines to understand your content and how it's relevant to users, and they'll be able to send you relevant traffic. If you make it hard for search engines to figure out what your pages are about, it would be normal for them to struggle to figure out how your site is relevant for users. Um, and so uh, we would highly recommend if you have pages on your website that are simply just a video or an image, that you have helpful text surrounding that image or video. Um, when we did our EAT webinars, we had uh, a transcript. We have a transcript at the bottom of, you know, instead of just putting, here's our webinar and a video, we have an entire transcript of it. Now, that does a couple of things. Um, number one, it gives Google way more information to parse to determine where to rank that page. And number two, it's helpful to users. Um, often people will be in a situation where they can't play a video. Uh, you know, maybe they're not on a Wi-Fi connection or uh, they're somewhere private when they don't have headphones or who knows what. Um, and so we would really, really recommend transcripts. Transcripts can be a bit of a pain. Uh, and there are many services that will transcribe for you. Um, gosh, I can't remember what we do now for Help Hangouts. We're, we're revisiting this whole process because we have some new staff starting uh, soon that will be doing our help hangouts. Uh, but there are services. So if you're interested in that, um, I, I've mentioned it in other podcasts, but tweet at me and I can I can find you um, information on what we use for transcribing if you um, want information on that. 
Search Console this week gave, uh, if, you, if you manage multiple websites, you probably got a lot of web uh, emails from Search Console this week. Uh, and they're going to be doing that every month. They send out the email saying, here's, I can't remember the title now, but like, here's your performance for the month. And uh, for us, we monitor, like I said, hundreds of websites. And so we get a lot of these emails. You, something a lot of people don't know is that you can actually unsubscribe from certain types of emails. So maybe you don't want to get this update to how you're performing because you're in Search Console every day. I know how I'm performing. Um, uh, but maybe you still want to get the important messages like if you have a manual action or if Google's detected uh, significant issues with your site. Um, so you can unsubscribe from those messages if you're seeing lots of them. A thing that I would love to see is I wish Google put the website at the beginning of the subject on the email um, thing because I'll we'll get like 200 messages that say, uh, I don't know, there's a, your search performance for the website https www.mariehaines.com but I can't see the mariehaines.com until I click on the subject line um, and so uh, it's kind of a pain for us but uh, that's my one wish <laughs> with those emails. Let's see, gosh, we've got a lot of stuff here. I didn't think this would be a very busy podcast but we're almost through. I want to talk a little bit about this statement from John Mueller in a help hangout recently, and it was covered by Barry Schwartz about EAT and e-commerce websites. Um, and so the question that was asked was um, about um, whether or not uh, how you would improve EAT on a product page. Uh, and what the person asking was saying was that many times products, they come with a description that's provided by the vendor. And that same description will be used on Amazon, on hundreds of different websites that uh, use the data feed for, uh, for this vendor. And, um, you know, that's, we've talked about that in the context of thin content, how you really want to pr be providing uh, more information than just the description that people can find uh, on, uh, you know, hundreds of other websites. Um, and so when John, and then the, the person asking the question went on to say, how can we improve the EAT of product pages. So John's answer said, I don't know specifically about EAT for e-commerce. EAT is something that we have in our quality raters guidelines and is more focused on websites where the type of information is critical for the user, where they really need to know that they get the right information there. So probably less the case for e-commerce websites. Does that mean we need to pay no attention to EAT for e-commerce? I don't think so. I'm really unpacking this because um, I think this is an important statement. I think what John's talking about here is there's a lot of things that are measured in terms of EAT that don't apply to product pages. So for example, um, one of the things that we think is important in terms of trust is whether your medical information is uh, referenced properly, whether you can back up your claims with sources. That's not something that you would tend to see on a, a product page. We do think that EAT is important for businesses. Um, if you're a business that has a very bad reputation and people are complaining all over the web that they can't find information about your business uh, or they can't find information about your refund policy or they can't get a refund, then that can affect Google's assessment of EAT for your site. We feel very, very confident about that. So I would not say that EAT should be completely ignored for e-commerce websites, um, but I think that things that you do to improve product pages are maybe less about EAT and more about uh, just improving the user experience and becoming unique and uniquely valuable. Um, it's something that I have on my list that uh, I do think I will write an article at some point on um, things that you can do to improve an e-commerce website based not just solely on EAT, but on what's in the quality raters guidelines. The raters guidelines talk a lot about your money or your life, and they talk a lot about e-commerce websites. If you sell anything, you're YMYL. Uh, people have to give their credit card to you or they have to use your website to click on um, an affiliate link where they're going to give their credit card. Uh, it's very, very important that people have trust for an e-commerce website. So that's all I'm going to say on that topic for now, but I feel like we'll have more on that in the future. Just briefly in local SEO, 
was um, a tweet by Claire Carlisle talking about Google Posts being messed up. Uh, She's got missing images, missing headlines, missing links, Google Posts being created when she didn't create any posts. This is apparently a known issue. Uh, Crystal Tang chimed in to say that she's been seeing this often over the last few weeks. She says it typically resolves within a day or so, but Google My Business is also uh, able to help too. So if you have um, posts, Google posts that are just not working properly, it's possible that, I mean, first I'd say give it a day and see. And then uh, Google My Business has been doing not too badly at um, providing support on Twitter. Uh, The Google My Business Twitter account is all one word, Google My (laughs) B-I-Z. I'm Canadian, B-I-Z. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, if you're having trouble with Google posts, then that could be why it could be them, not you. Um, interesting thing from Jason Brown on uh, Twitter as well. If you're having trouble getting verified on Google, my business, it could be because you're telling people that you're open 24 seven. Uh, for some reason, Google does not want to verify businesses that say they're open 24 hours a day. Uh, and so Jason feels that they've had success in getting businesses verified with actual business hours, uh, in there. So, um, so that's something that you can try. And one other thing for local SEO is Google made some clarifications on the use of virtual offices. So virtual office, I think most of you know this, but just uh, because we haven't talked about it for a little while, I'll recap um, what's happening here. Uh, Let's say, um, so actually this is a good example for for us. We, uh, our office is in a city called Kanata. I, I say Kanata, it's Kanata. I say it that way because people think I'm saying Canada. Um, Canada, Canada is kind of a weird thing, but this is where we are. And we're just outside of Ottawa um, in Canada. And so let's say uh, we don't get foot traffic into our office. Well, that's meant to be here. We get people come here by mistake all the time. But let's say we did rely on foot traffic. Then um, one of the things, if we wanted to rank locally for people who are in the city of Ottawa, um, proximity is such a big factor that we really would need to have an office somewhere near the center of Ottawa um, rather than 20 minutes outside of the center of Ottawa. And so what people would do is pay for a virtual office. You can pay just a couple hundred dollars a month uh, to have this virtual office. And the guidelines used to sort of imply that as long as somebody was at that office and reachable during regular business hours, you could use that as your office's main address. Um, And so we had some clients that would actually set up an office uh, and put one staff member just to to sit in that office uh, so that they could have a Google My Business uh, listing with that listed as their address. Um, Google's changed their guidelines now to say if your business rents a temporary virtual office at a, that's a virtual, yeah, okay, a virtual office at a different address from your primary business don't create a page for that location. <sighs> Reading it now, it's a, still a little bit ambiguous. Um, you know, I think I might need to get some clarification from some of the local folks. So any of you listening to this, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You can tweet at me at, at Marie underscore Haynes. I, you know, that wording still kind of implies like I could have people there? No, I no, I don't think it does. You know, and I think I'm trying to convince myself that uh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think if you're using a virtual office, Google does not want to rank you there. That said, there's some stuff happening where, uh, and I didn't include this in podcast, um, but it's in newsletter. Uh, there's some stuff happening where Google is allowing people to search by area as opposed to city center. Um, and so things may change and proximity may become less of an issue. Uh, I think they may have done that because they realized that people were doing all sorts of things to make it look like they were in the center of a, um, a city when they actually weren't. Um, I'm going to end here. Oh gosh, we still got a lot more to discuss. Oh, well, I tweeted recently and asking um, whether the length of the podcast was okay. And the majority of you said, hey, keep talking as long as it's interesting. So this is what I'm going to do. 
Um, here's a question that we had in podcast, which is really, really uh, interesting. Um, you can ask me a question on our newsletter. If you go to mariehaines.com slash newsletter and hit any of the episodes, there'll be a link to a Google form where you can ask uh, a question. And uh, if it seems like it's something that would help a lot of people, I'll answer it on uh, this podcast. So this question comes from uh, Rob Gazzola, and he asks about reciprocal linking. For several clients, we've added local business partner pages then and recommend uh, that list and recommend other local businesses. Um, and so most of the links go to their home pages. Many of those sites saw drops in rankings for their home pages starting in November around the time of BERT. All right, this is interesting, right? Because BERT was very, very similar to the November 8th update, which we know was not BERT. I don't think this is BERT. Do you think that these types of reciprocal links could be judged as low quality and potentially the source of this drop? Um, the pages with the listings and links are clearly described, but the, they're mostly reciprocated on other local businesses as well. We thought these wouldn't be looked at as low quality links. Okay. So the reason why I want to comment on November 8th, I feel like I've been talking every podcast episode since then about this update. We've had more requests for help with drops on the November 8th update uh, than we have for an update in quite a while, even some of the core updates. And um, we have a whole article on this, and I've spoken uh, ad nauseum about our thoughts on links. Uh, so just to briefly recap, um, a lot of the sites that saw drops on November 8th were recipe sites or travel sites that made use of... Um, at the end of the post, they'd say, enjoy this recipe. Here's five more chocolate chip cookie recipes that we really like. And they would link to um, friends of theirs. And in return, those friends would do the same in their posts and link back. Uh, and so we really feel like Google devalued that kind of link. And why did they devalue it? It's because it's not really a recommendation of somebody's content. It kind of is, um, but also people were doing it on a large enough scale that it was working. And so Google doesn't want to rank content just because you've got a lot of friends. Um, they want to rank content that is good. So in this situation, uh, what Rob is talking about is a small business that has a page saying, here's some resources. I think that makes sense, right? If I'm a, a realtor in the city, I might have a page that says, here's where you can find a mortgage broker, a um, uh, you know, a house inspector, a uh, house cleaner, anything like that. Um, and if those people in return linked back to us saying, here's where you can find a great realtor, that's somewhat expected. Now, I haven't looked at these pages, but I bet you if they were used for link purposes that they're not really recommendations. Um, and so what we saw, I, I remember years ago working with one realtor and his resource page was all like, hey, if you're looking for a realtor in uh, India... <laughs> here's some recommendations. Um, this is somebody from Canada. Or if you're looking for um, a realtor in California, here's a recommendation where these were clearly like there for the purpose of SEO. Um, I think it's very unlikely that any of this person's clients were actually going, oh my gosh, I actually do need a realtor in India. Uh, so I'm going to click on this link. Um, so our theory is that Google is now able to detect when mentions are actual recommendations more so. Um, and if not, then to just devalue those links. So it may be in this situation for Rob's clients that the sites that were um, being linked out to from this resource page, that those links used to be really helping and now they're not. The question that keeps coming up though is whether any disavow work would help. I really think in this situation, probably no. Um, I think that you've lost the link equity that, you know, in the past Google used to say, oh, look at all these recommendations. And now they might be better able to say, yeah, these aren't really recommendations. They're part of a link scheme. So let's just ignore them. I do think, though, that if you've seen a significant drop and it's continuing to go down, and that's the only kind of link 
that uh, you really feel breaks Google's guidelines, it might be worthwhile disavowing some of those just to see. Um, I'm not sure if we have any of those projects uh, coming up because I know we're dealing with a lot of November 8th hit sites, but um, but the problem is they always have other issues as well. So it's going to be hard to say whether disavowing actually fixes those sites. Um, the other thing too, if you saw drop November 8th is we're not a hundred percent convinced that this whole thing was about links. So, um, I just had this thought right while I'm recording this, uh, when Rob was asking about BERT, I think it's possible that Google could use BERT to better understand whether a link is a true recommendation. It is a possibility, um, but still, that doesn't help you figure out what to do about this. So at this point, um, should you be disavowing? I think it really depends on the scale of other unnatural link issues. If you're not sure whether uh, you should be disavowing links, then um, we do offer a service where it's not a full link audit, but rather we look at your link profile and tell you how much of a risk we think it is. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, you can reach out to uh, help at mariehaines.com and um, we can get you more information on that. Um, so you know, I think, I think we'll end that question there, but it's really an interesting situation. Uh, and if you are running a small business and you're seeing drops since November and you've been involved in uh, reciprocal linking, it may be that you've lost some benefit um, from that practice. Uh, so as promised, I just want to end with a little bit of an update about MHC and what's happening with us. We've just hired two new staff. They're going to start next week. We have enough work to hire uh, probably five or six more at this point, but I really, really want to grow things uh, slowly and properly um, as opposed to scaling to a massive size. I would love uh, if any of you have recommendations for books um, to help me in this phase of our growth. So if you know my story at all, you know I used to be a veterinarian. And then I got interested in SEO and then eventually I started doing my own consulting and then I was like, oh, I have so much business here. I should hire somebody to just help me do less <laughs> um, and actually make more money and, and uh, be able to take on more business. Um, and now that's grown into uh, we're now 10 of us with our, our new employees um, and we'll probably be adding more into the, into the new year. Um, the thing is, there's not a lot of books written about this stage of business growth. Um, there's books that tell you, uh, I think for those of you who are thinking about going into, um, uh, you know, going off on your own and, uh, and doing your own consulting, um, the book, uh, The E-Myth Revisited is by far the best thing that I read that talks about just actually running a proper business and creating processes and uh, hiring the right people um, and things like that. that. That is really, really good. Um, but our biggest issue is figuring out how to take on more business um, and empowering my staff to do some of the stuff that I normally would do. And so... Um, one of the things that we're uh, working heavily on this year is developing very, very robust training. Um, when I first hired my staff, what I did was I took anything that I did that I felt I would be doing repeatedly and I made a process out of it. And it's very hard to make a process that still allows for creativity and input from your staff. Um, and I feel like we've been able to do this. Our audits are somewhat templated um, but the vast majority of it is um, manually done and, uh, you know, we review things as a team and I think we've got a really good process. One of the things that was happening, though, is that it takes us about two weeks to do a full site review. And so we were turning this, uh, turning it around in two weeks. Um, and what was happening was like constant bottleneck uh, of um, me having to review reports. And, uh, and, and, and as soon as the staff had done that report, they'd move on to the next one. And so we've extended that to actually three to four weeks, depending on the website. And that opens up more time for my staff and I to work on uh, developing processes, figuring out where our issues are, figuring out what's slowing us down, and then uh, determining how can we actually be better organized in the future. Um, and that's really, really hard because there's no blueprint for it. Um, so some of the things, gosh, that I've done, I make great use of Trello. Uh, Trello to just have lists. And I have a list for here's what I need to accomplish today, Here's what I need to accomplish this week. And here's something I need to do in the near future. And what I decided to do was sit down with two of my staff members once a week 
and we go through this list and we say, okay, this was on my list and it didn't get done. Why? Is it still important? Do we need to change something? Do we need to put somebody else on this? Do I need to just sit down and do it? Um, And they're helping me to stay organized, which is a a really, really good thing. And one of the things that we did was set very achievable goals for me um, because I found that for the last seven, eight years (laughs) that I've been doing this, I've been constantly um, working under the gun. Um, I'm always behind on everything. And so now we're better organized. We're better. It means we're going to be taking in a little bit less business. We're probably going to have a longer waiting list until, um, things explode in terms of us having trained staff, uh, at the numbers that we need to accomplish what we're doing. Um, I don't, I mean, there's more I could talk about, about this. We have a new office, um, that we're probably moving into in a few weeks. Funny story. Most of you know that we uh, used to be in office number 404, and the joke was that nobody could find us. (laughs) Come on, some of you got that, right? Um, And now we're moving into office number 301. Make your own jokes. I don't think we'll be there for long. Who knows? So um, I just thought I'd share that with you because I know a lot of you who are listening to this are business owners or you want to be business owners. Uh, If you're interested in more on this, I I probably could publish uh, some information on it or even do a podcast episode specifically on this topic uh, because I think it's something that um, running a business is hard. You need to have the right people around you and it's hard to get those right people. Um, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. So uh, anyhow. I think we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, and again, if you have recommendations for me for reading material uh, to help in this area where you're trying to scale from ten plus people um, in a in a service uh, related business, I would love your recommendations. Well, this was a very long podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm-hmm.